whack like the sound of a birch on it behind. But Asia did, and as she was bored, she threw off the covers, got herself up, and, clutching onto the handrail, went down the stairs to get it. She opened the door and stepped out to the stoop, bent with sighs to pick up the journal, the babies churning within her, then stepped back through the door and pushed it shut. With more sighs, she turned and trudged down the center hall to ascend the stairs and return to the unwelcome bed. Absently at the same time, undoing the paper, the newsboy had knotted into itself. The headline was huge. She read it, hardly meaning to. Then she started screaming and did not stop. Jack ran out, terrified, nearly stumbling on the rug in the hall and tumbling down the steps. Asia was on her hands and knees, her gown fallen open, her belly unslung, her thin nose flared like an eagle's beak, the newspaper under her elbows. Her meager mouth was stuck open, and such a sequence of shrieks and moans came out of it. Jack rushed a wire to my house in New York, at 28 East 19th Street. I was in Boston then, as I've said, but mother was keeping up the house with my sister Rosalie and taking care of my daughter Edwina, who was only two years old and did not travel with me. Mother already knew, of course, before the telegram came. The New York papers were quick with the news, which, on the shriek of the news hawk, ripped down the streets like grape shot and rattled the city's windows. Any other woman, learning what mother learned that day, would have been prostrated. But mother's so strong, so disciplined, there was only the slightest palsy as she absorbed it all. Then she quickly made do for Edwina with the help of a neighbor lady, neatly packed a carrying case and another for Rosalie, and cabbed to the Hudson Ferry, sailed to Jersey City, went to the railway depot and caught the cars to Philadelphia. Jack had gotten Asia to bed, though she flopped about it dangerously. Mother rescued Asia's mind, and most likely her life as well. But Asia is prone to melancholies, and we do not know if she will ever come out of this despair. On that miserable morning, my valet James came into my hotel room and woke me. It is very hard for me to sleep. When I am awakened, I am liable, without knowing I am doing it, to throw at whoever stirs me whatever is at hand. And James had standing orders never to cut short my rest. I was furious with him. I demanded he tell me what he meant by it. Oh, Master Edwin. He moaned. You never could guess what has happened. The president has been shot, and oh, Master Edwin... I feel Wilkes has done it. James has been known from time to time to misunderstand. I wouldn't believe a word of it till he handed me the newspaper. And then the bells began to toll, and every note of them told me things would never be the same. I did not go to Philadelphia. I was not known there, and I did not feel safe in these circumstances. No, that is an awful lie. 
It makes me a wretched coward. Jack and I owned a playhouse there called the Walnut Street. Philadelphia then was a theater town, nearly as much as Boston. The tradition was old and sanctified, not glitterish like New York. Edwin Forrest lived there, and everyone else came through. I had played there many times. I was known very well in that city. And I was betrothed to a Philadelphia girl. We were to be married in September. That is, the September just now passed. I can't describe her. I mean, I won't. I do not want you to know her. She was the first I've cared for since my wife Molly died. And she loved little Edwina, I thought, almost as much as I. Had I gone to Philadelphia, she would have come to see me. And the thing I wanted most was to keep her clear of this. And there is also the fact that I am not the consoling soul.